it's two o'clock in the morning and you can hardly believe it. You worked so hard to fall asleep. You can't even believe that you're laying there wide awake again. And it seems like the harder that you work at falling asleep, the more awake you are. You flip on the TV set, just out of sheer boredom. But quite frankly, if you see one more infomercial, you are just going to lose it. TV goes off, room goes dark, and you're just laying there listening to the sound of your own breathing. And there's only one thing left to do. You don't want to do it. You try to avoid it, but it's too late. You start thinking about your life. I did not want to go there. It's like this balance sheet of my life pops up in moments like these where I go through both sides of the ledger. I go through all the good stuff first that makes my heart beat, stuff that brings me joy. Then I go through all the bad stuff that I just want to avoid, that just drains me. And then after a while, there's like this stuff that I've tried to keep hidden from my past, that I try to keep below the surface that rears its ugly head once again in moments like these when I am vulnerable and cold and tired and I can't run away. It's 2.15. And it seems like there's never enough time to do what I want to do. It feels like I'm a prisoner to everybody else's schedule. And never enough time to do the things that I love. The things that I used to do. And it feels like I am never, ever going to be able to escape the prison of my job. I am so overwhelmed by my schedule. It feels like I am juggling 15 balls and my life is getting so tired. I just need some rest. It's 3 o'clock now. And the thought of the mortgage has crept into my thoughts. And it's got its hands around my neck. And the credit card debt has me by both legs. And it is slowly pulling me under water. And it feels like no matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, it's like it's never enough. And I can't ever get out from under it. It's now 3.30 in the morning and you are completely going bonkers. And so you turn to the person lying next to you and he or she is lying there like nothing's wrong. Your life's falling apart. 
and sleep couldn't be any easier for them. And it's so frustrating. And you just want to shake them and wake them up and talk about all the stuff that's eaten at you. The debt, the kids, the job, all the anxiety. But why should both of you suffer? (laughs) Truth is, what you'd really like to do is to nudge them and to suggest something a little more intimate. But that's not going to happen. Truth is, marriage isn't going all that great right now. You work too many hours. She's feeling stressed out with all the stuff with the kids and your moments of connection are far and few between. You ask yourself, how do I get the intimacy of my marriage back? And your mind begins to wonder and it gets even bigger than that. How do I get my life back? How do I get my passion for my life back? It's 3.45 in the morning and you're lying there wide awake and sleep is nowhere in sight and you ask yourself and you say to yourself, there has got to be something more. Good to have my dad in the service. <laughs> well, we're uh, in the middle of this series called uh, One Month to Live, where we've just been asking the question, if you just had 30 days left, how would it be different? What would change? Because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And as God reached down, he formed man from the dust. But even though the man was formed, he still wasn't a man. It was not until that moment when God breathed into man his own breath that he suddenly became different. It was in that moment that man became set aside from the rest of Creation because man's breath came from the very breath of God. God's breath flows through my lungs. It flows through yours. It's his breath that flows in those empty spaces that makes us who we are. Spiritual beings who were created for something more than just this world. But somewhere down the line, it feels like we just lost it. We lost our spirituality. And now, quite frankly, it's just easier to go through the motions of life, to go through the daily grind, and just check out on anything remotely connected to God. Right? Our spirituality scares us because it's an inconvenience to the way that we live. We've become used to the daily grind. We've become used to being comfortably numb and living out our lives in such a way that we keep our spirituality tucked away. And after a while, we forget it's even there. But in the middle of the night, 
2 o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep, there is like this tugging on my heart that is always a gentle reminder that says there really is something more than just this. Many of us have settled into a life where the whole of our faith is filled with nothing more than just the routine of religion, right? We go to church on Sunday mornings, we volunteer in some capacity, we pray before meals, and really that's it. That's really the full extent of our faith. Christianity has become a part of our lives, but that's just it. That's the problem, is that it's just a part. We don't give it a whole lot of thought or investment past the Sunday morning experience. It doesn't come up in our day-to-day lives, and it's really certainly something that we're not very passionate about. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, if you look at the life that Jesus lived out, you could say a lot of things about who he was and what he did, but you could never accuse him of being boring. You could never accuse him of being passionless. Wherever he went, he was always stirring things up. He always lived and spoke with an authenticity that threatened other people. But there was this energy, this excitement, and people were drawn to his passion. And in the midst of all of that, someone once asked Jesus, They said, what is the first and the greatest commandments? In other words, if there was just one thing that we could live by, one thing that we could remember, if we could just get one thing right on this earth, what would it be? And Jesus said, without even batting an eye, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. And then he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And quite frankly, if you're doing the first, the second will just come naturally. So this is it. I mean, this is the whole point of the ministry of Jesus in a nutshell. It ain't rocket science. It doesn't take some great theologian or some great scholar or some great pastor to figure it out for you. It's it. It's taking everything that you're about, all of your mind, all of your heart, all of your soul, in other words, everything that makes you, you, and pouring it all into just one thing, loving God. Is it even possible to live without a divided heart? Is it possible to live for God with such a passion that we can get past the motions of doing religion to understand that following Jesus has a lot more than just reading our Bible or being a good moral person. It's about pouring your whole being into something. We're all going to fill our lives with something. And the question is this morning, what is it that you will fill your life with? More importantly, will it be something?
that at the end of the day has any value at all. If you knew you just had 30 days left, how would you fill your jar? In the Old Testament times of kings and prophets and plagues and droughts comes a story about how God works in our lives. Elisha was a great prophet of God and he, quite frankly, had a direct line to God. And God directed Elisha at one point to go to the home of this widow where her husband had just died. And she and her family, their their lives were coming off the tracks. And just when it looked like they were going to lose everything, God shows up. God shows up in the form of Elisha. And as he approaches her home, before he even gets a word out of his mouth, this woman begins to speak in a pretty firm way. She says, Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he followed God with all of his heart. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now it sounds to me like this woman is feeling a little resentful, doesn't it to you? Her husband was a faithful follower of God and look what it got him. He's dead, she's broke, and now she's about to lose everything as well. This widow had her back up against the wall. And she had no means of earning any income. And they were not only coming to take her home, but in that day, if you weren't able to pay off your debt, they would take your kids and put them into slavery to work off that debt until it was fully paid off. Not a bad plan. So, she's scared. She's hurting. And in verse 2, Elisha says, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? What kind of question is that? When you ask God to come into your life, you have to be prepared to answer the question, what do you have in your house? How much capacity do you have for him? What's your jar full of? Is it so full of the wrong stuff that God can't find any room for him in there, anywhere in your life? Well, I'm sure this widow was thinking to herself, good prophets must be really hard to come by these days because this one's a little slow. I just told him, I ain't got nothing. She says, but I do have a little oil. Now, here's where the story takes a little twist. Because just when you think all is hopeless, she busts out this little jar of oil. Now, oil in in that day was used as a currency because it was such a precious commodity, much like gold could be used uh, in today's world. And this woman has the tiniest amount of oil, and it represents everything that she has in this jar with this tiny bit of oil. 
One thing about God working in us, like a small boy with five loaves and a couple fish, there is nothing too small for God to work with. And she has this little bit of oil. Well, receiving his direction from God, Elisha told her to do something a little strange. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to go around and I want you to ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And don't just ask for a few, ask for a lot. And then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. And I, what I want you to do is I want you to pour that little bit of oil you have into all the jars that you have gathered together until each is filled. And as each one is filled, then put it to one side. I imagine that the widow is probably thinking that Elisha is a little nuts at this point. Or she has a lot more faith than I would in this particular situation. I mean, what a strange thing to ask for her to go around. She's already lost her husband. She's probably feeling pretty humbled and broken. And now he wants her to go around to all the neighbors and ask them for empty jars? I mean, what's the point? And then to take this little bit of oil that she has and to pour it into all of these jars. So you have to realize that once she pours the little bit of oil that she has into all of these jars, it really has no value at all because you can't get that oil gathered back to get enough to where it was before. Don't underestimate what an act of faith this was. This little bit of oil is all she has left. This little bit of oil represents maybe a last good meal that she could sit down with herself and her sons before she becomes homeless and they become slaves. This took courage to pour out this little bit of oil, all that she had. But it's funny, isn't it? That somehow when our backs are up against the wall, that we can suddenly find the faith to do what God asks us to do. The thing about God working in us is he doesn't much care about what the neighbors think. He doesn't care if something seems a little crazy by our standards. He just asks us to move forward wholeheartedly, passionately in faith. He asks us to empty ourselves out so that he can pour himself in. You see, these empty jars, they're metaphors for our lives. An empty jar has very little value, right? And a jar that is full of the wrong stuff, that's even worse. That reminds me of my mom. She used to take uh, old mason jars and she would take baking grease after cooking and pour it all into that jar and then keep it under the sink. It was all nasty and gross. A jar full of, the, of bad stuff, that's even worse. But a jar full of something precious, something that's worthwhile, something that has meaning, God wants to be the only thing in our jar. He wants us to live a life of passion, a life that is God-filled. And just like he asked the widow to trust him and to pour out everything that she had, he asked us to do the same so that he can fill us with something more valuable. I think that the hardest part of Christianity is that emptying out part. Because as humans, 
we are naturally drawn to the stuff of this world and we want it. We desire it. And so to empty ourselves out of the passions and pursuits and the junk of this world is a painful process. But it is the only way that we can create capacity for God in our lives. What goes on in verses 5 and 6 It says that she left Elisha and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons and they brought the jars to her and she kept on pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. So the widow and her sons filled their house with every jar and container that they could find. And the miracle was that as long as they had empty jars, this oil kept flowing and flowing and flowing even beyond their wildest imagination to the point that they had so much oil that they could actually pay off all their debt. But when they finally ran out of capacity, the oil stopped flowing. And in verse 7, it says that she went and told the man of God, Elisha, everything that had happened. And he said, go now, sell the oil and pay off your debts. And you and your sons can live in peace with what's left. Here's like the point of the story for me. When you run out of space, it stops. When you run out of space for God because your life is so filled up with all of the wrong stuff, God will stop flowing in your life because there's just no room for him in your life. I have to tell you, I face this in my own life where I constantly have to fight and to scrape and to struggle to keep my passion for God alive. And it's work. I have to work my rear off to keep all the junk that shouldn't be in there out and all of the stuff of God in. Believe it or not, the competition for everything out there that wants to be in our jars is enormous. But out of all of the stuff in the world that can fill our jars, God says this, I want you to fill it with just one thing. Me. So, what holds us back? What causes us to settle? What causes us to just go through the motions, to sleepwalk through this life? I have to tell you this. There is a direct correlation between being passionate about God and being passionate about your life. I don't have any secret this morning. I don't have any three-point formula to tell you how to keep your passion for God alive. Because best I can figure, it is just this constant, daily process of scraping and struggling and emptying ourselves out of all of the junk of this world so that we can fill our hearts with Jesus. 
But to cut to the chase this morning, let me just ask you this. If you knew you just had 30 days left, if you knew you were going to meet your maker, what would you get rid of? What would you fill your life with? How would it be different? It's 2 a.m. And sleep has eluded you again. And you just wonder, how do I get my life back? How do I get my passion back? How do I get rid of all this stuff that eats at me night after night? How fickle my heart and how woozy my eyes that I can become so distracted by the stuff of this world that I can be tempted by the things that I can see and touch and feel rather than the things that are real. And you're lying there, wide awake, again. And you say there has to be something more than just this empty life. There has to be something more than just this grind. And so you scream out in silence, Awake, my soul, and dream. Dream about what life can be. Awake, my soul, and be filled. Be filled with the stuff that can only come from my maker. Awake, my soul. Bring me to life again.